podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest feature show on ESSR. My name is David Hockney, and yes, sir, I can boogie. Because today, as a panel of proud Scottish wrestling fans, we will be talking specifically about one of the greatest WWE champions of the last few years, not that we're being biased at all. We're talking about Scotland's own Drew McIntyre. Almost one year ago, he shot to superstardom when he won the 2020 Royal Rumble. And I think it's safe to say he's had a very up and down year, to say the least. But as we approach the 2021 Royal Rumble, we're going to be taking this show and taking a look back at how well Drew has progressed over the last year. but if you're just uh, new to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, uh, be sure to follow us on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, and all good Android podcasting sites for a load of great content on our back catalogue, including Saturday Draft Live, Eats Meets West, and of course, our regular weekly central shows. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. And be sure to check out our content on YouTube as well, where we're releasing new shows all the time, including Conspiracy Theory, hosted by the GOAT, David Campbell, and of course, quiz showdown hosted by daniel campbell and a new episode of that will be coming out in the coming weeks so keep an eye out for that uh, but enough of the formalities let's introduce my panel of brave hearts uh, so starting off we have the said host of quiz showdown i've just mentioned his name there but i'll say it again it's daniel campbell it's so good you have to say it twice thank you very much david and yes we are all brave hearts here because scotland <laughs> Oh yes, I love it. Love the love the patriotism there. And also joining us is my one of my co-hosts from Saturday Draft Live, hoping to make it two for two. But at this stage, it's uh, it could possibly go either way. Much like uh, the back and forth between Roman and Drew in the Royal Rumble last year, it is Scott McLeod. Very me to Roman Reigns because if so, I'll take it. <laughs> oh, you're not the head of the table in the McLeod household. I'm the head of the table on Saturday Draft Live, and don't you or Jack forget it. And moving on, and. <laughs> I think the only person that can eclipse this man's love of Drew McIntyre is his love of uh, Big Viscera. It is Gary Kernahan. Uh, Drew McIntyre stole my nickname, Dave. He calls himself the sexy Scotsman, but we all know that's me. Hey, with that voice alone, I think you put in a really strong uh, contendership with that one. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And and lastly, we have someone who's so heavily draped in saltire and Scottish memorabilia that he has a Drew McIntyre t-shirt, a saltire cushion, and a cushion depicting the late, great Sean Connery. It is Alan McLucas. I know, mate. Yeah, dude. R.I.P. Sean. Miss you. All right. So, guys, I think it's safe to say, you know, I think we're all very proud of what uh, Drew's managed to achieve over the last year. But I'm going to roll back the clock a bit to almost one year ago today, where we were building up to the 2020 Royal Rumble match. Now, the big talk of the Royal Rumble was obviously Brock Lesnar was entering this match as WWE champion and as the number one entrant. And I think it was safe to say he was going to go the distance for sure. But Daniel, I want to start off with you. Um, What did you think Drew's odds were uh, as potentially being a surprise victor? Or was he one of the favorites uh, to win that year's Royal Rumble? I know that some people had heard things about the time saying maybe it'll be Drew this year uh, me personally going into that rumble I, I honestly didn't know who it could be looking at the field my worst my worst case scenario in my head was Lesnar was going to go the distance and you know by some stroke be able to 
you know, be like, I enter the number one, I eliminated nearly the whole damn field, I, I win. Eclipsing everything Shawn Michaels did in 95 with his stretch going from one to from one to victory. And also that uh, redacted guy in 2004. Uh, in terms of Lesnar's, like when, or rather, sorry, who would I thought could win the Rumble? If I was picking a potential victor at that point, I would have maybe said Roman. Just because with the year that he had had, obviously coming back from the leukemia that sidelined him for so long, for like that short period of time, it would have been a natural coda as well that Roman comes back and builds his way back up to the title. But then ultimately, you know, the fans would be like, oh, we don't want Roman in the title scene. So, you know, like I, I would have said either Roman or possibly even maybe AJ. They'd have been my two. Mm-hmm. I know Gary, uh, Daniel mentioned obviously, of course, Roman Reigns, you know, making his huge comeback from uh, from his leukemia treatment, and he actually made it to the final final two with Drew as well. And it was uh, a lot of the the bookmakers and the betting people were saying that it's either going to be one of those two. Uh, what was your? Were you feeling on edge when it sort of came down to those two, knowing that? either Roman's going to get absolutely booed out of the building or the whole of Scotland is going to go absolutely bonkers <laughs> for this uh, for this potential victory. Yeah, I'm going into it. I didn't, I didn't think... I didn't have Drew down as a favourite to win it going into it. I thought he'd get a good showing, um, but I didn't think he would uh, win it. Um, actually, I think I, I said after the show that um, I didn't think he needed to win, actually, after he'd eliminated Brock. I thought his WrestleMania match was sorted. At that point, he actually didn't need to win it. Uh, And saying all of that, I'm thrilled, absolutely thrilled that he did win it. But yeah, I did have some flashbacks to um, Rumble a couple years ago when uh, Shinsuke and Roman were the last two, weren't they? Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh... Is history going to repeat itself here? Are they actually going to give us what we want twice in three years? Or are we going to get back to the Roman getting shoved down your throat? Um, actually, going into this Rumble, Dave, uh, Seth was one of my picks to win it because he was uh, in a big spotlight at the time. Mm-hmm. And his Monday Night Messiah character with his stable was probably... Uh, was doing good things at the time and growing so we going into it, I thought he was a favourite to win it and Drew's uh, push leading into this rumble I thought it was more sort of gradual and suddenly and organic then suddenly like bam here's your new big star mm-hmm. yeah it was almost it was almost quite sudden as well because Scott um, 2019 wasn't exactly the best year for Drew given that you know he was uh, out with injury for a fair bit he lost to Ricochet in the first round of the King of the Ring tournament and by the time he comes back he's basically pressed the reset button and he comes back as this more dominant performer but not necessarily uh, a face or a heel character do you think this sort of created a bit more intrigue for Drew's character in that you know it doesn't matter you know if he's a good guy or a bad guy he's going to be the one to win the Royal Rumble and it doesn't matter what anybody else says yeah because like for most of his main roster run he had been a heel and I think a uh, big issue was that he kept, we mentioned before, he kept putting in random partnerships with Ziggler, with uh, Baron Corbin. Like earlier in 2018, he, Corbin Lashley, just formed this team just to lose to the Shield one last time. Oh, do you remember that? That was awful. Mm. Uh, that was the night I think Dean Ambrose got paid peanuts for it. Yeah. And then he was Shane McMahon's lucky. Everyone thought that was going to lead to a match, him versus Undertaker at SummerSlam. Apparently, rumors were that Taker wanted it. That never sadly happened. 
And then, yeah, he got injured, which was a shame, especially if you wanted him to win the King of the Ring like I did. <laughs> and, uh, and then he comes back, and yeah, he's been a heel mostly, and then he suddenly does this weird program with Orton and AJ on TV, where he seems again be presented with these main event guys. And I had to hear rumours going into this. A lot of people said they thought Drew could possibly be an outside bet to win it. And I remember when we were making our predictions that, uh, for that sweepstake, I was between Roman and Drew. And I honestly thought Drew was a bit too much wishful thinking. I thought he was a guy who seemed to be for the last year and a bit like he's there, but he's like, we're going to push him, just not quite yet. And then just that night, just, they just went, seemed to go all out with it. And I agree definitely with what Gary said. I think we mentioned at the Rumble Moment show that he cemented his place at WrestleMania just by eliminating Lesnar. He didn't even need to, to win it. I think that was just the cherry on top of the cake, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Alan, I think you were probably the happiest person in the world when you saw Drew eliminate Brock from the Rumble. But it's not just that moment that was really uh, that really solidified Drew's win because aside from Brock, he actually got the second most number of eliminations. Which you know, it's it, it, and it sounds dwarfing compared to Brock's thirteen, but Drew got six eliminations in that Rumble, which is a very very strong showing. And he was also the Iron Man of the the Rumble itself, lasting almost thirty five minutes. Does that level of performance solidify somebody as a legit main event player and a, a legit Royal Rumble winner? Yeah. Um, I mean, going into it, he was actually the third favourite with the bookies. He was 92 on. Only Lesnar and Reigns were ahead of him. Um, I remember saying beforehand he was definitely final four material. I didn't know he'd won it. Uh, but if you look at it from a statistical point of view, he deserved to win it. As you said, he was the Iron Man, second most eliminations. You know, he... He definitely hit knee on the head. His performance was sensational. And no matter who he was in the ring with, the work he did with everyone was absolutely spectacular. And, uh, you know, quite rightfully, it shot him off the superstardom. And he's now finally at the level that a lot of people here in Glasgow and Scotland and in the UK have known for a long time that he is a main event player. And hopefully this isn't a shot in the dark and it's not going to be a short-term thing. I'm hoping Drew, when time hits 40, is still playing main events and hopefully getting a chance to have his WrestleMania moments again and again. So I want to get uh, everybody's reactions to, obviously Drew did win the Rumble to a huge uh, elation of cheers around the world, especially from uh, as there was as we've seen on the bump. You know, there's a, a video from Walkabout Glasgow that was circulating. Like, is people were cheering as if you know Scotland had won the World Cup. Never mind just qualifying for it. And uh, so, Daniel, what was your initial reaction? And I'll go around everybody for this. What was your reaction when Drew threw out Roman Reigns and won the Royal Rumble? Well, I was already in a mixed state at that point because I was enjoying the Rumble. I was also, you know, holding back tears at the fact that I was getting to watch Edge compete again, which is mm-hmm. something that you can't you can't go without mentioning Edge and McIntyre winning in the same sentence in that rumble. It's two significant moments, you have to mention both of them. So when Roman and Drew were the last two, my thought was, okay, it's either gonna be McIntyre as the winner and everyone's elated, or Roman wins, and we're happy for him given the year he's had, but the fans are gonna, you know, shit all over it. Mm-hmm. But then McIntyre hit that last claymore and I actually just remember sitting up just going wait hold are you serious and then he chucks him out over the top rope and I'm actually thinking we've got a Glasgow boy in the way to Wrestlemania folks 
Uh, I think Jack Graham will have say, something to say about that because he's Drew's from air, not glass. He graduated from my uni, so I don't give a shit. <laughs> All right, point proven. And Gary, as you mentioned before, you know, his win almost echoed that of Shinsuke Nakamura's in 2018, where he Kinshasa's Roman and then throws him out, much like Drew Claymore's Roman and then throws him out. Like, what was your reaction when when that happened? Yeah, it was almost like I was jumping about, like yeah, like when I do when my team scored a goal in football. It was uh, it was a real moment of of joy, and little did we know that that was going to be the last little big event that we would actually have people at because the atmosphere was incredible. Folk were uh, were really into it at the time. I think um, the the manner in which he eliminated. Um, Roman is probably worth underlining, Dave, because it wasn't like a sort of tippy tappy. Who's going to go over? Oh, he's gone over. Mm. You know, he threw him over with some authority, and a wee bit like also, you know, credit where credit's due to Brock. We're probably touching this a wee bit. Brock sold his ass off when he got eliminated by Drew, mm. um, and Heyman's reactions were just absolutely priceless as they always are. So um, yeah, I, I, just a great moment. I was watching it with my son Ollie, who's uh, is seven now, six at the time, and we were jumping about. It was just mm-hmm. fantastic to see that. Some you know one of our own um, guy that we've seen wrestle at the at the garage uh, in Glasgow going on to to achieve you know at the absolute pinnacle of this uh, of this industry mm-hmm. and you know as Gary mentioned Scott uh, you know Drew is somebody we've seen compete in ICW numerous times before like, how much pride uh, that were you feeling knowing that somebody you know you've seen perform in person actually has gone to WWE, won the Royal Rumble, and is now going to main event WrestleMania. Yeah, I think I already felt a bit proud when he eliminated Brock. I think you knew going into it, whoever eliminates Brock, that's his opponent for WrestleMania, and that's probably who's going to drop the tail, because that seems to be how it worked, where Brock wins the tail before Mania season, drops it at Mania, goes away for a while, runs for a beat. And so then I was saying in like the idea, like, well, shit, we're going to have a British world champion, and he's going to be a Scottish guy, he's going to be true. And we really think about it, there's really don't think anybody more deserving than him to have that spot. And then, like I said, that moment at the end, like, that could have went either way because Gold, uh, Roman was meant to be in the Universal title match with Goldberg before real life got in the way. So it was probably going to go either way. And I thought, like, they could have Drew in because, like, they seem to do this a lot with Roman. They had them in that situation with Shinsuke. They had him with Orton the year before. He's got the most, like, runner up spots in Rumble history. And then they just did it again. and like you said, yeah, we were, we were in Stevens, you know, back when you could have gatherings in someone's home, mm-hmm. and this is back when you could get all these people in arena, and just, just the atmosphere. Uh, just, I think it was a, it was the idea of like I just said there, it felt like it was just a, just not yet, but now it felt like yeah, finally ten years after being declared the chosen one, finally Drew is in the main event spot he was always meant to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and finally, uh, Alan Scott has alluded to the. Drew's set a precedent for British wrestling now. He's the first British and Scottish winner of the Royal Rumble. Like, how does that impact British wrestling as a whole, knowing that you know they've got like a British wrestling star at the top of the biggest promotion in the world? Um, I think it solidifies what a lot of people here in the UK have known for some time, that we have some of the absolute best wrestlers in the world. Um, if you just look at WWE at the moment, you know, Gallus are still the NXT UK Tag Team Champions. Kaylee Ray is still the NXT Women's Champion. 
and you've been through is the WWE champion. So it shows that they actually understand that people, especially here in Scotland, are trained to a very high caliber. They work very, very hard and diligently. And they are if you're given the opportunity, they will flourish. Um, and that's by the same school. I mean, there's been a lot of people who have came and done well. Um, I mean, Seamus has been in the indie circuits and he's been around Scotland and the UK. And he's done very, very well for himself. So I think it shows that WWE have now realised the grass isn't always greener. In the US, they need to start expanding out. They missed a trick with Shinsuke. They could have had Shinsuke going on because Asuka's done some great things with the Women's Championship. But Drew doing that and considering the work he did before going back to WWE, it's been the hardest work in the rest of the world. shows that there was nothing stopping them. It was just a matter of time. And I'm glad they pulled the trigger when they did. Because if you imagine if we are at this time now and Drew still wasn't at this moment, it'd be quite sickening. Yeah, because I remember watching the the Rumble the day after because uh, I was working during the day, and I remember watching that uh, the moment where Drew won, and I literally I'm I'm screaming like a Wayne on Christmas Day. It was I, I was so elated with that. I haven't been that happy with a with a result since probably uh, probably since Shinsuke's Royal Rumble when I was like jumping like a like a maniac over the room. I'm surprised my neighbours didn't complain. But uh, yeah, I think it was a great moment for not just Drew himself, but I think for the whole of Scotland. He's done the entire country proud. And, you know, he's he's solidified himself as a megastar on that one night. So going from the Rumble now, we move on to his road to WrestleMania. And it was certainly a, a tumultuous one, you know, not just within the WWE universe, but also in the real world. So he wastes no time in calling out Brock Lesnar as his... Uh, as his opponent for WrestleMania. And I think, you know, as Scott alluded to, you know, it's like who whoever eliminates Brock is probably most likely going to be his WrestleMania opponent. And that's what we were getting. And in, but during that time, Daniel, we sort of see Drew show a lot more sort of face characteristics and stuff. Uh, do you think like, when he sort of made that transition, did you start to prefer him more as a face to a heel or did you not really care either way? Well, the early exposure I got to Babyface Drew McIntyre was actually when he was working here in the UK as Drew Galloway uh, I you know as much as people have divided opinion of it I, I did just to watch What Culture Pro Wrestling and Drew was their top champion for a while and he did some pretty damn impressive work on there and as a Babyface I quite liked his promo style it was very you know it was raw it wasn't this scripted stuff that they have him do every week this was just Drew talking from the heart. So to see that happen on TV, it's something different. I mean, even something just as daft as getting the audience to count down to the Claymore. It's mm-hmm. it's like Shawn Michaels when he would, you know, tune up the band for Sweet Chin Music. Or I don't know, Shinsuke Nakamura like kind of you know, crouching in the corner getting ready to hit the Kinshasa. Like he had to get something that kind of gave everyone that feeling of, right? We know what's coming now. It's like how you know, Taker has the throat slash. Triple H like does his pose. Like everyone has a setup to a finisher. Drew had to establish one for himself, but he did so not only just from, you know, getting in the corner. He could have done anything. He just decided, you know what? Let's have fun with everyone. Three, two, one. Get some. Mm. Yeah, it's it's quite a good way to sort of get audience uh, interaction involved, and I think that's what uh, makes a connection for a superstar to an audience and that's what gets them to cheer for him. It doesn't necessarily mean they have to, now Scott, it doesn't mean they have to be necessarily be a white meat sort of baby face, much like, you know, John Cena, for example. But 
I think WWE's. Do you think WWE's finally, you know, picked up on the idea that you know they prefer sort of cool, confident, powerful faces as opposed to you know cookie cut superhero mode that they've been sort of used to for the last few years. Yeah, definitely, because I think that was a concern when we started seeing the transition or the few weeks after the Rumble of him turning into a face. The worry that you'd be getting these scripted kind of generic face uh, promos. But I think as time went on, and then after he won the bill, especially. He started seeing like the best. He did the best thing he could. Let Drew be himself. Let him have that little bit of intensity while still being uh, quite likable. And I do remember like the first few weeks were a bit sketchy after the Rumble because like he ran away, got up in a thing with MVP, which would come back around kind of later on into his title run. But that, it made no sense at the time. But then you had the moment with with Brock after Brock was finally done squashing Ricochet, where he came into the three claymores one on the the ramp and like the moment where you kind of can kind of see Brock saying, "Hold up the bell." And Drew posed on with a belt, and you see that that was showing like the same kind of intensity he showed in the Rumble. This is the Drew you wanted to see going into Mania, and also was a good example, like how Gary said about the selling of Brock, or Brock, Brock is willing to give everything to help someone get over. If he believes in the program, and he clearly enjoyed working with Drew. Mm. Yeah, and that brings me very nicely to my next point, uh, Alan. Drew seemed to get the one up on Brock uh, quite a few times on this uh, road to WrestleMania. Like at one point, I think he claymored him about three or four times on the stage. And as Scott alluded to, you know, he was saying, you know, pick up the title, show your dominance, that kind of thing. How much faith does that uh, show that Brock has in his opponent and to sort of build an amazing sort of main event promo for the biggest show of the year? Yeah, um, well, it's no secret I'm not a fan of Brock Lesnar. I think he's exceptionally lazy. And I think it's quite boring to watch, actually. But intrigued because I was seeing a different side of Brock Lesnar. A guy who was actually trying and he was turning up. You know, he had a run of like four weeks. Uh, pretty much all of January he appeared on Raw, which is the first time he'd done anything like that since he returned. Um, so it gave you an idea that Right, this is something a bit different with Brock because where it was Orton or where you know it was Cena or someone, he'd, he'd appear here and there. He just you could tell that he wasn't that arsed about it. But the fact that he'd appear week in week out and let him Drew wipe the floor with him like three or four weeks, you know, it, it shows the guy actually was invested. And I'm not gonna lie, I was kind of gutted when that actually seen the bit where he heard Brock telling him lift the title because I'd have, I'd have loved Dickens on up knowing that. It just showed that it kind of tarnished a wee bit of Drew's dominance for me because Drew's having to lift up. I'd like to just see him do it naturally and organically. Um, but yeah, it shows that he was actually invested, and for the first time for me ever, I actually had any interest in a Brock Lesnar match. And uh, Gary, uh, the one I think the Drew wasn't competing as often between the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania because do you think that sort of hampered his build towards WrestleMania or do you think they had enough material to get him over uh, more towards in promos and how he was training for this uh, this big event knowing that you know this is a an almost 15 year journey for him yeah I think the backstory helped enormously Dave and also I think the the that you know when you have Paul Heyman involved um, that helps as, as well, plus the selling. So I think they got away with it this time, but this has been a problem over the years of what you do with the Royal Rumble winner between Rumble and Mania. And we've seen we've seen some people lose their momentum, big style in between um, there. And we've, you know, we've seen folk having to defend their title opportunity, their 
the what was no way out what has been recently the um was it the, no it was the elimination chamber recently yeah elimination chamber was there for a while wasn't it just to try and give them something to do and to keep it keep them involved so i don't think he uh, i think it could have been hotter but that's a difficult period in between there but i think they got away with it uh, thanks to some of those things and scott was absolutely right that that um moment in Raw where we had the repeated Claymore kicks um, that was that was fantastic but also what we started seeing here was um, was a change in or, or Drew's character starting to solidify a wee bit because he was, you know, so he was the Scottish psychopath and then we started to see him be a couple, bit more playful if I could put it that way, interacting with the crowd on his way to the ring, calling himself the uh, sexy Scotsman. Mm-hmm. We started to see a wee bit of a, a different side to his character, but I think he started to, you know, plant the seeds and establish what we now see now from Drew during this period. So I think he sort of grew into the role of the the top dog in the show because he went, you know, to be, you know, he, it's not like he'd been really challenging in the main event before he won the rumble, which I think what kind of helped us because it made it feel fresh and exciting. He hadn't really been around the title picture before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because WrestleMania, I believe, was his first ever one-on-one opportunity for the WWE Championship. He has challenged for the World Heavyweight Title before inside the Elimination Chamber, but. No, this was his uh, this was his first one-on-one match, and he absolutely delivered on it. Uh, but we'll get to a bit more than that in just a bit because you know uh, his road to WrestleMania unfortunately got derailed by the biggest heel of 2020 of all, and that was COVID-19, because he was in the UK doing you know promotional material with BT Sports. They've got that partnership with uh, WWE, and there was this uh, there were photos and videos of him doing this insane. Uh, in this insane workout in the Scottish Highlands where he's carrying these massive boulders uh, and, you know, it was rainy. Where his wrestling gear? Where his wrestling gear? Yeah, wearing his wrestling gear too. He's uh, he's getting right into it. Uh, But obviously, Daniel, the COVID-19 situation was getting a lot worse. Countries were shutting flights down and uh, countries were closing their borders and he had to get rushed back to America. Uh, We did see it on his documentary as well, but his initial response was the whole uh woe is me attitude because you know he wouldn't be able to experience wrestlemania at its fullest capacity because there's going to be nobody attending like do you sympathize with him for having that sort of more woe is me attitude uh in response to covid i wouldn't necessarily call it a woe is me attitude it'd be more he understood i think he understood the gravity of the situation but it was more just obviously he has you know you have to have that moment of well that's you know you know because and but the best way I can describe it, if you're going into the biggest like gig of your career and it ends up being like, if the rug ends up getting pulled out from underneath you, everyone naturally will have that moment of, well, I wish that would have happened instead. I wish we could still go and do it the way we wanted. You know, because he's thinking my family could have been there, my friends could have been there. Now, at that point, they didn't know necessarily if it was still going to happen. They didn't know if WrestleMania was going to go ahead the way that it did eventually. So given his response, you know, I, I felt sorry for him. I felt sorry for everyone on the card because, you know, they were building some great stuff at that point because you had, uh, you know, Drew and Lesnar, you had Taker and Styles, you had eventually, well, we were supposed to be getting Goldberg and Reigns. Of course, that didn't turn out. So, you know, everyone everyone lost out on that from what happened this year. So I, I felt sorry, not even just for Drew, I felt sorry for everyone. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think he sort of mentioned it as documentary. You know, he had that attitude immediately, but then as soon as it sort of dawned on him, it's like, wait, there's, there's going to be folk in a lot worse situations. I think that's what I was trying to trying to imply there. But you know, Scott obviously uh, WrestleMania had to change accordingly. You know, it was uh, moved to the Performance Center in an empty Performance Center, so there'd be no fans attending. It was broken down into two nights as well to sort of uh, expand the tapings out a bit, but. Obviously, the, the vibe of WrestleMania was going to be much, much different this year. But do you really think it changed the fact that somebody from our home country is going to be in the main event challenging Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship? No, I don't think it changed the moment just because like, there was nobody there to react to it because, you know, there were a lot of this across Scotland, across the world, reacting in our own like, homes, watching it on the network. I do remember watching his documentary and... He does seem really annoyed that when it happens, as you probably would be anybody, and without your big moment, and now there's not, not going to be anybody there, there's not going to be any big stadium for your first WWE title win. And I think anything you kind of rationalise it later on is that like, I've not really had a conventional journey to this point with like getting fired and everything, so I don't think it would be, I don't think I should be surprised that my first title win isn't really the most conventional, at the, at the very most, un, most unconventional WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. And I did remember a lot of people being kind of disappointed with the shortness of the match and everything, but I think it was like the end of a two-day mania that had a weird feeling without the, the same atmosphere. And it was never going to be a long match anyway. I think I can kind of forgive the kind of quality of the match. Because I think it's more about the moment. Some matches are about the moment themselves and what they, they signify. I think Drew win the title being the first ever Scottish or British WWE champion is more important than how good or bad the match was because then he got to build double G he got to fight the big show right after that didn't he <laughs> yeah that match with the big show was a bit random you know it was like it was aired as a dark segment uh, and it because... was longer than the Lesnar match by like a minute and a bit <laughs> yeah uh, but talking about the match itself uh, Gary like obviously you know we get to the main event where it's uh, Brock versus Drew as Scott mentioned you know it's only a relatively short match because Brock doesn't tend to do long matches anyway you know he maybe we're lucky if we get five, ten minutes of Brock in a competitive match. But did you feel any sort of white worry or any animosity going into this event, knowing that, you know, okay, well, Drew's here now, but can he do it when it counts? Can he pull off the big one? Was there ever that sense of doubt in your mind, or did you ha- were, you, were you more confident that Drew was going to win? Yeah, I, I think some... some older wrestling fans will have this dilemma all the time when you watch the match you kind of have this dual bit of watching it as a fan but also watching it as somebody that kind of analyzes it to an extent and tries to think well why are they doing that and what's going to happen next so as a fan i was worried that we wouldn't get the result of it but when you think about it and we know that brock's schedule generally is i was fairly confident that drew would come out on top but this is WWE, you can never take anything for granted, you never know um, uh, what mood Vince McMahon might be in in the day and he could have decided just to change it, change it all. So there's always that worry uh, about it. Um, like some of the others, like you guys have just said, I didn't expect this to be a long match either. I mean, one of my favourite matches, when I think back, when I was lucky enough to go to WrestleMania 33 in Orlando, Mm-hmm. And Goldberg and Brock that night, I thought it was fantastic. Mm. If, you know, you don't expect these guys to go out there for half an hour and to be trading arm bars with one another. You expect, you know, two bulldozers to work, and I think that's what we got with that one. Uh, but there was just something about this match. I think, you know, there are too, too many finishers 
Um, and also we've seen that if, if I remember right at the start of the match it was that Drew got hit by quite a number of F5s and suplexes before he got any offence in really mm-hmm. so I, you know, Brock can put on really good shows we've seen him have some cracking matches um, over the years but I just thought there was you know the construction of this match reminded me a wee bit of when Triple H and uh, Randy Orton faced at Mania before and they were doing each other's finishers to each other and it was just a bit you know took something away from it for me I think they I think they could have had a better match and if they ever do get to performance front of a big crowd I'm sure they will have a better match mm-hmm. now obviously you know Alan the result is what uh, everybody in Scotland is most uh, is most thrilled about but do you think the match itself overall lived up to the hype of being the main event of a two night Wrestlemania no for me personally I was hoping for a squash I was hoping it was going to be a case of Drew run. No, Blaise will run it. Drew, Drew has to be Claymore one, two, three. Um, but as the match happened, it happened to like how I thought it was going to happen. Brock was Brock going to be so dominant, and then Drew's going to get his one moment, turn it, and then he'll he'll win. But for the, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the WWE title is the most prestigious title in wrestling, and I don't care who has it. It should mean event every pay per view. I know right now I brought up before people are saying well Roman's going to be better storylines and whatever but the Universal but that's a kiddie on title that's a jinx title that it's never really been effective for me the WWE title is the be on end all and that should always mean event regardless if it's the best match or not so it was in the right place um, it just wasn't a great match but it's you know it's been alluded to already we knew it wasn't really about the match it was about the moment but I personally would have just went for a squash through that's on one claymore and he's done that's bad to be the way I would have done it personally mm. uh, but yeah I think we can all agree that you know Drew winning the WWE title was probably the most elating thing we've seen since he uh, since he won the Royal Rumble match and and so began his uh his reign as uh, as WWE champion and his first big feud coming out of WrestleMania was that of a a very established name in WWE and it was alluded to before you know Gary mentioned this man he thought he was a favourite to win that year's Rumble it's uh, the Monday Night Messiah Seth Rollins uh, Daniel I don't know about you but do you think uh, Drew going up against an established name such as Seth Rollins for his first major feud uh, was the right choice given that you know Rollins had actually lost to Kevin Owens the night before at Wrestlemania uh, or do you think you know Rollins would have been more suitable for uh, a bigger feud down the line I would say Going off the back of what happened at WrestleMania, if any heel was going to be getting a title match of some kind, I'll be honest, AJ would have been my preference right off the bat because if you think AJ would have had the massive chip on his shoulder of having just lost to The Undertaker. So AJ just decides, well, you know what? That's not what I'm going to let people remember me this year. This is what I'm going to do instead and then have him go after Drew McIntyre because there's... You know, Seth Rollins was in the midst of the whole Monday Night Messiah thing. It still was not clear cut what the end game was going to be with it. So it would have made more sense that, you know, maybe Rollins could have been like an opponent further down the line, maybe Money in the Bank or later than that, perhaps. AJ, I think, could have done with it more earlier. That's what I would say. Okay. Uh, Scott, do you agree with that? Do you think AJ Styles could have been his first feud despite you know him being literally buried uh, after night one of WrestleMania? Yeah, it, it could have been interesting like, to see the two feel. We've seen them uh, more recently at, at TLC and it was a, a good feud. 
I think EG's biggest concern, rather than losing Undertaker, was mainly the fact that in the world of Keefe, as far as we knew, EG was dead after being buried alive. Obviously, hands sticking at the ground. We didn't know if he was coming back. I get why they did Seth, and I know some people would say, "Oh, but Kevin Owens beat him." But Kevin Owens' momentum was hindered by hindered by the fact that he got injured doing that spot off of the WrestleMania sign. So, and then Seth was being really effective with the Messiah character, so I can see why they kept him around and. You actually look at the feud, it's basically Seth saying like, I've been champion before, I understand what the burden is like, and Drew, you're not ready for it yet, so I'm going to take it off your hands. So it was Drew further proving himself as the top guy by beating a former champion, saying like, you say I'm not ready, well I've just proven to you that I'm ready, and they can add that bit of respect afterwards. Uh, and I think it was good to give itself a mental set that then led to that Mysterio feud. I think looking back at Money in the Bank, that was the best non-cinematic match on that whole show and mm. as we'll see that these later points weren't of the same quality but I think part of that was the fact that I think they were planning on a Brock rematch at SummerSlam but because there was no crowd they didn't want to spend the money on Brock to bring him back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know you made a good few points about you know Seth Rollins being saying I will take this burden off your hands and obviously Seth being a former four-time world champion he was uh, uh you, you, you do put forward a good case about you know why he was uh a solid uh, opponent and also there was the, the sign of respect at the end as well so it sort of created a bit of intrigue with uh, with Seth's character but Gary I'm gonna move on to Drew's following feud which came at Backlash and he went up against the newly uh, reinvented Bobby Lashley pairing with MVP which which uh, nowadays you know has grown into the heart business so at this stage Bobby Lashley was sort of going through a bit of a, a redevelopment he was uh, just divorced from Lana well thankfully and he, and he gets a suitable replacement in the form of MVP. Did you think uh, there was a there was some potential for Lashley to shock the world and uh, possibly dethrone Drew at this stage? Absolutely not. No? Uh, no, absolutely not. I found this really unconvincing. Uh, Lashley, you know, in the world of kayfabe, what had he actually done to really earn to be in the world title picture? He, for me, he wasn't a credible challenger at that point based on his presentation. And I know Lashley, the the man is, and I know he's an incredible athlete um, and has a very impressive CV when it comes to that. But based on what we'd seen, I didn't think he was credible and I struggled um, to take this one seriously because I didn't think um, there would be any realistic prospect of a title change here and I think Drew suffered from some of this I don't think he was able to build a momentum he didn't go into I, 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 th- I think I was agreeing with your point Dave that, that Rollins was probably too soon for him and I think this was too soon for Lashley Lashley now with the heart business really credible challenger and that stable would add a degree of jeopardy mm-hmm. to the champion um, so I think now Lashley entering into the title picture would be would be a good and probably a natural thing for him to do. But I just thought it was it was too soon for Lashley, and I think Drew suffered in this period. Yeah, I, I think you know obviously Lashley's you know he's current United States champion at time of recording. He's had quite a lengthy lengthy run with the with the belt. I think if he was to challenge Drew now, it would be much more uh, much more intriguing. Say at least with the heart business uh, surrounding him and. Alan, we'll come back to his last sort of uh, transitional feud in the route to SummerSlam. Dolph Ziggler, his former tag team champion partner, 
uh, and obviously someone who hasn't really had a big break with world title matches in the last few years. Uh, a lot of people were saying that this was, uh, you know, these two have got history around them, so there's a story there. But with Dolph, with you know, Dolph Ziggler being the sort of gatekeeper for NXT, does the feud seem a bit lackluster? Uh, given you know Dolph's position in the company, but at the same time he comes up with this really crazy stipulation at Extreme Rules, where it's Extreme Rules for Ziggler only, and if Drew gets disqualified or counted out, he loses the title. Did it just get too convoluted for what was already a bit of a lackluster opponent? Absolutely. I mean, it was really tedious that match, and uh, I mean the storyline itself was good enough to do a one or two pay per view feud because they do have the history from a tag champions or whatever but it just shows the desperation they have in Monday Night Raw because there's nobody there to take them on you know Randy has to be in the mood and it seems more often than not he's not in the mood maybe towards the end of 2020 different story but he'd already went through as we briefly mentioned he went through Brock he'd been through Bobby Lashley he'd been through Seth Rollins uh, Owens was injured AJ has been buried, literally, so there really wasn't anyone in it, it was just grasping at straws, and it was a shame because overall I think his title reign has been very, very good, and he's done the best of, in some cases it's been an absolute crap situation, um, but it, it, I wouldn't say it harmed him, but it didn't show him as being the best of the best, shall we say, because Cyclops like very, very good at what he does, but nobody regards him as the best or as the guy or one of the guys, he's just a mid-carder on some people's eyes, a jobber. Mm. Yeah, so we sort of come to SummerSlam now, and, you know, as Alan said, you know, it's WWE still in the midst of COVID. They were filming pay-per-views and TV tapings in an empty performance center with no audience except, you know, maybe a few performance center recruitments and stuff. So it definitely was trying to make the, ba- the best out of a bad situation. Uh, but obviously, you know, I think some of these feuds were just a bit lackluster for, you know, a first-time WWE champion who's been pushed to be the next big megastar. Uh, but now, Daniel, we come to the Randy Orton feud uh, on the build towards SummerSlam. So uh, what was your anticipation knowing that Drew now had a very, very strong opponent for the first time since Seth Rollins? And there was a lot of rumors floating around that this could have been the point where Drew finally dropped the title. Did you see, uh, did you agree with those those rumors? Well, I had to go off of the, like how Randy had been conducting himself the year prior because Orton, particularly in the last couple of years, has taken an interest in helping to like develop some other wrestlers. Like if there's someone he can work with, he tries everything he can. Like he had a series of really great matches with, with uh, Mustafa Ali. Uh, a few pay-per-views and you know the work they did with him was just golden so I had a feeling that he could do something good to help elevate McIntyre I just feel that having him win the title eventually later on when he did to me if anything it just derailed it Mm. because if you look at how it goes because I mean obviously I I know I'm getting a bit ahead but McIntyre's reign ended at 202 days at Hell in a Cell. It did not need the Randy Orton thing. It could have been just like Orton's, you know, managed to do something that really affected him. So then he has the whole, you know, I'm a Scotsman, laddie, you know, moment with the the big sword and whatever. Mm -hmm. He could have just had that naturally as a result of like, you know, 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 I've I've got an extra kick for this. 
you know, I don't need to take his crap anymore. I'm actually going to just go out there and just annihilate him right now, end it all together. But, you know, I mean, I was happy that it was Orton, but at the same time, I was just dreading whatever they were going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Scott, obviously by this point, you know, Drew was sort of moving from one feud to another. This sort of acted as the the big feud of the summer for for Drew himself as the WWE champion. Like, because they would then, Drew pulls off a, a sort of backslide pin victory, so it was almost a bit of like a fluky win at SummerSlam. I don't know if that diminished his... Uh, his WWE title win at SummerSlam that that much, but obviously at Night of Champions as well, though they had the the ambulance match. Uh, do you think that was a much more definitive win for Drew, knowing that you know the SummerSlam victory could be argued that it was a bit bit of a fluke? Yeah, I remember going into the, the Orton feud. Orton was at his best that he'd been in a long time after coming off the Edge thing and the return to the Legend Killer. And I remember leading up to SummerSlam, he took out Sean and Ric Flair. And you had Drew coming out just being the concerned guy for these veterans. And that was really the only build for this match. Whereas when they, after Drew got the backslide, he kind of pissed Orton off. And Orton was more aggressive. He took Orton, uh, Drew out for, for a couple of weeks. Then Keithy came and feud him for a bit. And then Orton came back and got his revenge. So it ran up the intensity. So that's when they started doing gimmick matches. And it made it feel real because they both tried to take each other out. So now they're gonna, one of them's actually going to need to go to the hospital. And that's where I think Orange should have, have won the belt because he kept making out that after he'd injured McIntyre's draw that all oh, his draws hanging by a thread, one more punt kick and McIntyre's draws fucked. <laughs> and I think that's where he should have had Orton win because it would have protected Drew, like not having to like tape in. And then I would definitely have made the Hell in a Cell match a lot more interesting. That Hell in a Cell lacked a lot of heat for me, like especially compared to the two that preceded it on the same night, which is another big problem with WWE with three Hell in a Cell matches at one night you know and one thing we drew like with that sword why did he not bring it out during the Hell in a Cell it's no DQ he would have gotten away with it just like lie down Randy just point the sword towards him like <laughs> I mean if uh, you know Seth Rollins can kill the Fiend with a sledgehammer inside the cell I'm pretty sure a sword uh, wouldn't go amiss yeah uh, I mean don't right, about Orton winning I think that was always the plan at some point but Drew would always win it back but I do think they rushed any Drew winning it back because I think they realised that Orton versus Roman at Survivor was a more marquee kind of match because like you got technically the top heel in all the company and Roman in the top base because Roman is more methodical as a heel whereas Drew is more fiery and Orton works a slow pace as well so or- Roman and Orton their styles probably wouldn't have messed as well which is probably why they made the smart decision to put the belt back on Drew mm-hmm. uh, Gary, Scott mentions the, the Hell in a Cell match and that he thinks that Randy Orton should have won the ambulance match do you think this feud would have had a, a bit more extra extra layer to it if Randy went into the Hell in the Cell match as the WWE champion and Drew reclaimed it from him then. Because there were a lot of match there were a lot of moments in that cell match where, you know, it sort of dragged out for quite a bit, but you know, they went to the roof, they fell off the, the cell wall through the tables. It had all the, the makings of a of a main event of a pay-per-view. But do you think it would have meant more if Drew had won his second WWE title? inside the cell. I think Scott's right, I would agree with that, because just from a logical point of view, you beat the guy twice, why Why? Why does he deserve a third title match? Mm-hmm. Now I know in storylines part of it is because he beat up the legends, but actually as far as I was concerned, this story finished at Clash of Champions, and uh, the way that, you know they've summed up 
you know, it was quite quite nicely done there. He out wrestled him at SummerSlam, and bear in mind, uh, Orton had won the greatest ever wrestling match before this, and I think he talks about this in the Stone Cold session. There, the one of the troubles you have with Hell in the Cell matches now is what else is there left to do in a cell match? We've seen. We've seen people get hung from the cells, we've seen them getting thrown off it, we've seen people go through it. So actually the bump that Drew took whilst I'm taking nothing away from him, because when Shawn Michaels did the same bump back in the late 90s, it was shocking. After seeing, what, 40, 50 Hell in a Cell matches, actually was quite tame in comparison to what was seen. So um, even the high spots in that match by today's standards weren't actually all that high and I say that as somebody that have, I have no desire to fall off the edge of hell in the cell and land through a table so I take nothing away from them from having the balls to do that and equally I take nothing away from them from having the balls to go out in the freezing cold Scottish Highlands lifting boulders <laughs> either um, so uh, for me, going into this match, it was, I, I think we were flogging a dead horse by this point. Um, we had seen, we'd seen this match a couple of times, we'd seen the outcome. Why was, what, what was there to make us believe that the champion was any in any jeopardy going into this match? Because he'd been able to beat him in quite a, you know, physical ambulance match before this, he out-wrestled him before, so I, I, yeah. I wasn't feeling this match, and I would agree with. Uh, uh, I, I think um, Orton taking the title in this fashion as well didn't do him any mm-hmm. favors either. Yeah. So, and obviously, uh, Alan, the Orton Drew feud actually was nominated for uh, Slammy Award for Rivalry of the Year. Uh, I don't know what you think about. You know, the guys have said you know it wasn't the most uh, captivating feud of all time, but you know. They ended up having their fourth and final match on an episode of Raw, where Drew reclaims the WWE Championship after getting a bit of a... Uh, well, it, it, sort of, it was sort of gradual over the summer, because obviously his theme music changed ever so slightly to have the you know, the sword included in his Titantron, and he has the pyro uh, when he you know plants the sword into the stage. Uh, do you think this sort of these slight changes, you know, with his ring gear, his entrance, and you know, getting a few a bit extra pyro, do you think that just, you know, elevated him even more so when he was able to reclaim the WWE Championship for a second time. Yeah, I, I would say now when he walks out, the way he looks, the way he acts, the whole presentation of it, it's a main event player. How he regained it, I think, was garbage. Because what's the point of having losing the match the Sunday and then come back to Monday night and win it? It's just no point. I don't see it. Um, but, you know, his look works. It's a fantastic look. I'm actually quite jealous because that, that's the type of look I'd have lost to had if I ever made it to WWE if I was ever good enough. But um, yeah, I think that's a main event player now. He's, you're going to see him, he's going to have his WrestleMania moments. I'm no doubt he will main event WrestleMania again in front of crowds. Uh, but I think the way he won the title back kind of tarnished it because it just was a waste of a reasonable feud. I mean, I think the reason they get nominated is because the feuds in Raw have been so dire this year. And uh, it's just, they didn't really have much to pick from. I mean, it was never going to beat the Russo's and Roman. It was never going to top that. But it, it was it's the best of the of uh, what you know, Drew's had to go through. And it's a shame because it's not as full, it's just pure creative on the Raw side. Mm. 
Yeah, and obviously his year wasn't done, you know, because that means he uh, he went into Survivor Series as the WWE Champion to go against Roman Reigns. And a lot of people were giving critical acclaim to this match. It was such a very hard-hitting back-and-forth style match, and it's a, it was a great way to, to main event, you know, one of the big four pay-per-views. So I just want to get your guys' thoughts on that match in particular, because, you know, Roman on the other side was getting a lot of fresh momentum you know coming in as this new heelish characters the the tribal chief and the head of the table but do you think you know despite you know losing to reigns in a sort of uh, devious fashion and just gets choked out with the guillotine uh, I'll, I'll start with you daniel do you think this uh, not drew down a peg or do you think this didn't really do much damage at all i'd say it's more wb back themselves into a corner because they took two champions they were booking so strongly and put them in a match like this, it got to the point where it needed the screwy finish just to get through it. Because you were either going to derail Roman completely or you were going to derail Drew completely. So by having the screw finish, by having uh, Jay come in and run interference, it saved Drew because it made Drew look strong. Because Reigns is still the strong champion because he now has Jay there. He's asserted his control as the head of the table. Drew is still strong because it took two people to beat him. So, you know, great match. The finish was just more one out of necessity. That's what I would say. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Gary, obviously, as I mentioned, you know, that match was actually quite a bit of a spot fest. You know, they were inside the ring, they were outside the ring, they went through barricades and through the announce tables. Was there any... Uh, moment in particular that was that you really liked about this this match. Oh, good question. Um, I actually, I really enjoyed the whole match, and I thought they they I thought they done a great job with it. And I I, I see Daniel's point um, with it. Um, I um, I don't think Drew looked any weaker coming out of this match because of the finish. Um, I think you know you can still the way he lost, he retained his credibility. He went down, went down fighting. Um, no, I thought I thought these guys. I would say they really over delivered in this match. They were really physical at points. Really great interaction with the, you know the crowd or the virtual crowd. Sorry, well we're loving it all. Um, yeah, I, I, sorry, I'm struggling to pull out a particular moment from it um, because yeah, I just really I really th- thought it was a cracking match, and it's one of these things with Survivor Series the way they do it, and I don't know why they didn't make more of the brand warfare idea this year. It can be difficult when you've got two people getting pushed the moon more often than not. We see there's just generally. Uh, easier to predict the outcome of some of these matches, um, yeah. but this one could have went either way. But yeah, um, unfortunately, going into it, I think most most of us probably put the money on Roman being the the one that was protected more. But I don't think it damaged Drew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know when you mentioned you know it, there was a lot less focus on brand warfare. I think that's purely because you know this would have been the Undertaker's final farewell after thirty years in the business. So I think that's kind of what overshadowed the pay per view a little bit, but. Uh, I'll move quickly on now to his final big match of the year, and that was at TLC, where uh, Scott, he defended the WWE Championship against AJ Styles in the opening match of the card uh, in a TLC match, which, uh, funnily enough, turned into a a triple threat 
following a, a Miz or brackets John Morrison cash in. Uh, how do you think this was a good way for Drew to finish on a high, knowing that he was going against you know a world-renowned competitor, arguably you know best wrestler of the last ten years, and then you've also got the threat of a Money in the Bank cash in uh, on the outside. Yeah, but the, the Savage is important. Move on. I agree with what Guy said about. I don't think it hurt Drew's momentum because you know he just won the belt back because. Yeah, it was so getting involved, which kept the, the storyline that he was having with Roman going at the same time. And also the issue with that Drew Roman match was that often they do a Universal Champion, WWE Champion, Brock Lesnar's involved, and you always know Brock Lesnar's probably going to win. Whereas I think I said at the time where these are the two top guys in the company, so it was harder to predict. And I think it was the smartest to have Roman win, but it was nice to see Drew get the win, and also he finally got that feud with AJ that Daniel City would have liked to see as his first feud. And also you have Miz coming in during the match to cash in his money in the bank and but then Drew kind of overcomes it. I know like there's some people probably would have, have liked to see a more straight up match between AJ and Drew with less shenanigans but you know Drew still came out dominant on the end even with Miz and Morrison almost on the outside and AJ also made him look like this conquering uh, champion at the end and I thought it was a good deal. It was good that it, I didn't lose anything for the fact that it opened because it started the show and also you had, you had only other, one other main gimmick match in TLC format and it was towards the end so it was good to keep them kind of separate and then you ran with through in a match where someone got set on fire. <laughs> yeah, uh, and just uh, one other point, uh, Alan, even though you know this was the WWE Championship match that was opening the TLC show, uh, do you think it took away from the fact that you know this didn't go on last or do you think just the quality of the match alone and the storytelling involved where Drew was essentially going up against four people like AJ, Miz, Morrison and even Omos to an extent uh, do you think that you know this could have fit uh, in the main event slot and do you think it was just as definitive a win? Uh, yeah, um, I'm going to be the the ugly duckling here, the black sheep of this. I'm going to say, just going back slightly to the Roman uh, Drew match, I think it really hurt him. Uh, to me, it made more sense Roman losing, Jay costing him, and Roman punishing Jay and continuing this abuse on Jay to Jay eventually turning. Um, so I think it really damaged him. Um, that's why I know I remember Finn Balor saying that the opening match is one of the most prestigious part, parts of the card. And it can be, and it can set up a pay per view. And I think in the scene in TLC, it really did set up well. However, if he won that match against Rome, he would not be starting that pay per view. He would have finished that pay per view. And no, I quite agree with you, Dave. I've been saying it for a long, long time over 10 years. AJ is the best in the world. There's nobody can lace his boots as far as I'm concerned. AJ for me will go down possibly as the greatest technical wrestler ever. Um, so I think even better, did, than, even better than like say John Michaels, Rick Flair, Bret Hart. Absolutely, absolutely. I think AJ is a whole different league above them. I think you know they're like eight, nine out of ten. AJ is a ten. AJ to me is just ahead of them. I just can't see anyone killing his boots. But I think in a way, the only way they could save through from what happened in my, in my opinion is by him making it like a four on one and Drew still coming out on top. I mean, if Drew'd won the actual um, match against Roman, I don't think he'd have the cash in, or the cash of the hand after the match. So I mean, the, the odds would be a bit fairer. Um, but I felt that the loss of Roman did damage it. That's why he opened, and the only way to try and save any credibility was to make it like a four-on-one. But I'm coming out on top. Uh, Scott, you had something to add? 
I don't think him losing to Roman is what stopped him from closing TLC because Roman didn't close TLC either. It was Orton Wyatt that that closed TLC. And I think that was a smart reason because really you talk about having trying to follow other good matches on a pay per view. It's very hard for anybody how good your match is to follow a man basically being burned alive. It's like, how, how are we going to main event the pay-per-view this year? Oh yeah, legal murder per sort. You could have put it at the start, just set the scene. There's going to be potential murders through it, mate. You'd have, to, you'd have to hazard it for where the body had been, Alan. They'd have to wrestle in that. That's fine. I mean, like, the other point I just, I just remember, the only point I've ever mentioned there is, since Drew's been WWE Champion, other than when you won at Mania, he's never been evented a pay-per-view. And that's, 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 when you look at the, the pay-per-views that followed, so we had um, uh, Money in the Bank. Well, the Money in the Bank match was, mm. was going to be the top of that one. At Backlash, we had the greatest wrestling match in the world that headlined that. And then you had the fucking Extreme Hollers show with that stupid Swamp match as well and these bloody cinematic matches and then we get into SummerSlam where you got you know the angle that set up the return of Roman so that match went last for that and we then get into the the period where you got Roman and Jay Uso story coming on to the top um, of the cards don't we so then that takes the spotlight from them so you then um, uh, so there's been a number of points throughout the year where these feuds, which you know the Lashleys and the Zigglers, which I wasn't, I, you know, wasn't. In the, I, I said that he, I thought he suffered a wee bit there. They they formed second fiddle to some of these, and some of them you can make a really robust case for why is that that was it. I thought the latter part of the the year uh, was quite good for for Drew. I thought, um, I, as I said, thought he you know he didn't he got a good spotlight at Survivor Series there, and even though this match at TLC opened it, I thought it was a bloody good match. Mm-hmm. And a really good story, and really enjoyed it. I thought the cash in was was unique as well. And given the amount of cash ins we've seen over the years, uh, it's hard to find different ways of doing it all. And he came out on top of that. So I thought he had a really good end to the year. It did feel weird. I wouldn't disagree with anybody that says uh, otherwise. It did feel weird that this match opened the show because she's just no use. You know, we have seen world championship matches open shows before, but it's quite unusual. So it was a wee bit of a surprise, which did make me think, oh, there's going to be some shenanigans here tonight. I, th- I didn't think in the match. I thought maybe later in the show there might be something that happens when they, they cash in. Um, but I thought Drew had a really good end to the year. And yeah, I mean, you get paired up with, you know, Drew and AJ Styles. Um, it's a shame they, um, they didn't get to work a, a wee bit longer. Mm. That's the thing I would say. Drew Orton actually did main event Hell in a Cell. One pay per view, other than like the Survivors against Rowan, that he did main event. And I'd argue Hell in a Cell he shouldn't have main evented. Yeah. That Hell in a Cell match was the worst of the three. Like Sasha Bailey should have main evented Hell in a Cell. Aye. Mm. Uh, you know what? I think the way the, the Roman Jey Uso feud carried out, I, I wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have minded if they made evented as well, like because the storytelling in that match was just absolute gold. But I mean, to, just to sort of turn your attention now to a tweet that was sent from uh, ICW commentator and friend of the show Billy Kirkwood, 
Uh, he tweeted on, I think it was, it's either 12th of November or 11th of December. It's because obviously it's different based on, you know, UK and US format, but I'll say, I'll say it's the 12th of November in this case. So, uh, he tweeted out, first Scottish born WWE champion, uh, first major football tournament in 22 years. Holy shit, is 2020 actually Scotland's best year for sport? So I'm going to throw that out to all of you and you think, I'd like to ask you guys, how much of that is down to Drew? And I'll start with Daniel. Well, I know bugger all about football, so I can't really comment on that. Neither does Alan. <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw you a bit of more channel over you. But, um, I would say in terms of wrestling, given uh, circumstances out with, because obviously so much of Scottish wrestling has been derailed this year, particularly because of the COVID pandemic, but Drew winning, I think, was a good pick-me-up for everyone. Like it gave everyone, you know, a thought of okay, that's what's happening for him. That can be us once all this crap's over with, and there's a way that we can start doing shows again. So, mm-hmm. I would say it was a, I would say it was a much needed uh, bit of cheer in this year. Scott, uh, what do you think of uh, that tweet there? Like, how much do you think Drew contributed to Scotland having its best year in sport or sports entertainment? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not a very sporty person. I don't keep up with football, but I've been reliably. See, I'm not the only one. But <laughs> I have been informed by the football fans in my family that Scotland are doing very well, weirdly. And then that happened at the same time. Drew is when the day. Honestly, I think Scotland doing so well in sports and in WWE is one of the least weird things to happen in the whole of 2020, personally. But it does speak it, like Scotland qualifying for a major tournament the one time that there's no fans to see them do it, you know. The idea of does a tree fall in the forest? Does anyone hear it? If Scotland score a goal in a major tournament and no one's there to see it, did it actually happen? Hmm. Uh, well, on that note, let's turn to the two football fans, uh, the two biggest <laughs> football fans of the group. Gary, what do you think? Um, I, um, I I think Drew should have been in the running for the BBC Sports Personality of the Year. I mean, he uh, reached the top of a, a worldwide sport. Um, he's a great character certainly has a lot more charisma than most of the people that are ever nominated for that and certainly is a much better known than many of them so I think yeah, I think he deserved to be nominated for it I think one of the other good things about Drew is he, you know, he doesn't forget his roots if, if that makes sense mm-hmm. so you see like you said at the start of the show yes sir I can boogie Mm-hmm. So Drew seen that he knew when he said that into the uh, into the camera that that would turn into a little clip that would have been shared. People would be tweeting about it, you know. So you know, ten out of ten for his own sort of personal branding. I think he talked yeah. in Stone Cold sessions about uh, doing things that would be giftable. Yeah, it's it's um it was certainly better than you know him doing his best Carol Baskin impression when he said, "Hey, you cool cats and kittens," uh, earlier in the year. I just look forward to him talking about winning 55. <laughs> uh, Alan, obviously, Gary mentions Drew. You know, do you think, would you have been happy if he was accepted as BBC Sports Personality of the Year, uh, you know, despite, you know, him being sort of a, a leading figure in the British wrestling scene? Uh, I'd like to see it, but wrestling is not one of the big sports here, sadly. Uh, never a fan. Uh, you'd have more charisma and charm than the person that won it let's put it that way I'm sure he pays his taxes as well other than the person that won it who did it Alan? what sorry? who did win it? Lewis Hamilton 
Lost Hound. Oh, yeah. Um, it would have been nice if he did. Uh, but from a Scottish perspective, you'll always come second to Scotland qualifying for Euros. They'd tie everyone in this country knew about it and they needed it. So they will never club the football. But it's a damn close second. Well, I think that's the tone for the rest of the show. But uh, yeah, as we come into the, the last bit, you know, obviously we're recording this uh, mid-January. So we're almost a full year now from when he won the Royal Rumble and we're coming full circle to this year's Royal Rumble pay-per-view. He's been booked to face Goldberg of all people. Uh, uh, when we all assumed that Roman would be in a, in a program with Goldberg as it was meant to be last year. But uh, I... Daniel, do you think this feud's come about in such a weird way? Because it all started at Legends Night where he successfully defended the title in Keith, against Keith Lee in what was arguably one of his best WWE title defenses so far. Uh, but then the feud sort of just comes about where Goldberg says he disrespects Legends and stuff, but that's completely contradictory to what happened during the Randy Orton feud when he was actually defending the Legends. So I, I don't know what you, what do you think of the, the Goldberg challenge? I believe at that moment with how they had to execute it, Drew had no other option but to assume the fake news stance that some people have, you know, in the last year or so. Uh, basically what happens is McIntyre uh, grabs a mic and is about to cut a promo, but WWE sent Goldberg out early. Drew McIntyre was meant to cut a promo, essentially kind of hinting that you know, none that the legends aren't up there as much as he respects them. He was going to say something along the lines of they can't do it at this level, which would then be the cue for Goldberg to come out and cut the exact promo that he cut afterwards. Because then he just goes, Because you said some stuff about them up there, and everyone sat at home and thinking, No, he didn't. No, he didn't say anything. No, he's, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he didn't say anything. Like Goldberg, the only things he was saying was calling spots with Keith. That was it. Like, that's all he did in the last, like, t 10 minutes. So, like, I could understand if, like, we actually had got to hear McIntyre say that. Because then you can go, like, okay, one of the legends has taken him to task for it. This is a chance for him to prove himself against one of, you know, the all-time greats. But it's Goldberg. Hmm. It's Goldberg, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but, Scott, obviously, the... Uh the execution of this uh, promo was a bit poor due to time constraints and stuff and that obviously is not really anybody's fault because you know i think we would have preferred to see more of drew versus keith uh but i think this uh, this feud has already sort of been the build for the feud has already been derailed a bit because like, now drew's now had to isolate because he's been diagnosed with with covid itself do you think uh, this is just uh, a feud that's doomed to fail i wouldn't say doomed to fail i mean we didn't want it in the first place and you know about Goldberg winning 25 before COVID. I mean, it did. COVID did kick off a few weeks after he won the title. I mean, I'm not saying Goldberg's to blame for all this. I'm just gonna put it out there and slightly imply it. You do with it what you will. But yeah, the way they were talking about promo and disrespecting legends. You know, if Orton was still the champion and Goldberg cut that same promo, it would have made a hell of a lot um, more yeah. sense. Not that I want to see an Orton Goldberg match either. But like mm -hmm. I mentioned on multiple shows, that I thought Sheamus was gonna be the one in the Rumble spot. It felt like they were building that way, and he kind of got pushed aside for Goldberg and I know there's this fear and I mentioned on Central a while back that I thought this is basically their way of trying to distract you from them maybe giving you a remote winner they don't want you don't want by making you be more worried about Goldberg winning the title but Alan mentioned earlier about the difference between the Universal and the title and I think when Goldberg did this to, to Bray Wyatt and to Owens they were the Universal Champion but they still at the time and during their reigns weren't really considered the top guy I don't think you know 
Owens was being overshadowed by Roman despite Roman being the US champion and uh, Ray R wasn't the biggest guy on, on Smackdown. He'd already had that big hair on a selfie at school before that. Whereas Drew's most high profile guys come up against so it gives me a bit more faith that they're not gonna just undo everything that Drew's like uh, built so far because his second reign has gone off to a better start because we talked about in this show how critical we've been in his first reign. That's a problem that WWE's had for years and still hasn't found a way to fix it. A lot of guys, their first title reign is usually their weakest of the world title that is. Hmm. Now, Alan, obviously you're not, as we mentioned before, you're not a big fan of Brock Lesnar, but now that the sort of Goldberg sort of shoehorned his way into the WWE title feud, I would like to get your response to, you know, given how Goldberg's been booked in the last few years, does Drew in jeopardy of, you know, being another victim? Yep. Nothing else to say. Yeah, he's going to drop it. Nothing else to say. That's up. Gary, do you think the same? No, I think I'm the only one here that likes Goldberg. Yeah, um, right. What do you like yeah. about him? Goldberg? Just not in this position. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I I still remember Goldberg from his WCW days, and you know I watched Goldberg in the Fiend with my seven-year-old son. Um, and when Goldberg won the title, he was jumping about the place, going crazy, uh, cheering it, love, loving it. I, I, I loved Goldberg's comeback and feud with Brock, I think. Uh, and clearly Vince McMahon likes someone has a place from. I would agree with my colleagues. I wouldn't put him anywhere near the title picture. I was at SummerSlam in Toronto when uh, uh, Goldberg fought uh uh, brought uh, Dolph Ziggler and uh, I thought used in that way uh, you know with somebody who can work uh, could be effective because we've seen the absolute train wreck that followed when he was put in there with somebody that wasn't you know able to do that when he went up against um, uh, went up against Undertaker so I enjoyed him with Dolph Ziggler I would if I was going to continue to book Goldberg I'd book him in matches like that where he can go in with somebody maybe even like a Seth Rollins somebody that can actually really work a match with him mm-hmm. um, uh, like Scott said um, I, I assumed that, um, that the rumble plans for, for Drew would have been Keith Lee or Sheamus mm-hmm. um, I, I actually thought when Keith Lee for what, some reason I thought when Keith Lee won that match to be the number one contender that he was winning for the opportunity to fight at the Rumble. I didn't, it didn't occur to me or I missed it that he was going to be fighting for that at, uh, on the next draw. So, um, yeah, I think the, that would have been a better one to save. I mean, the Seamus, Seamus Drew match, I doubt it's got, you know, I wouldn't buy a ticket to watch it, um, but I'm no doubt they'd put on a good match. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we'll just have to wait and see because obviously, you know, this will be going out before the Raw Rumble pay-per-view itself. But I think there's going to be a lot of anticipation to see where we go with this, given how, you know, Drew's been booked extremely well over the last year as WWE champion, more often than not, you know, as WWE champion as well. And when he hit 235 days as champion, he actually eclipsed The Undertaker's record of, because Undertaker's actually a seven-time champion, but over two reigns, Drew has actually surpassed the total time that Undertaker has been a world champion. Like, how's that for a for a statistic in this uh, in this show? Uh, but one last, sorry, Scott, on you go. I was going to say, I think Taker is a different case. So I think he was always a character that they always said, "Oh, he doesn't need a a belt." So I don't think he ever held it for long. But it's still an impressive accomplishment, and like, it's still, I still think it's a shame that uh, Taker's retired before he got a match with Drew because I think 
Ian Drew could have been one of Taker's last good matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're sort of coming to the end of the show now, but I just want to get one last uh, one last uh, opinion from each of you. Uh, obviously, Drew's going to go in, going into the Royal Rumble as WWE Champion, and last year he had just earned the right to challenge for the WWE Championship. So in a way, it's sort of come full circle. So what I want to get from you guys, and I'll go around each of you, uh, I want to get a bold prediction for something that Drew might achieve in 2021. And how do you think, how would you rate his uh, his 2020, given how much he's achieved? So Daniel, I'll start with you. I would say 2020 has been the year of Drew McIntyre. There's no way you can look around it. They may have had that wee blip with, um, with the whole title switch with Orton, but it's been a brilliant year. He's conducted himself very well. He's gone in and done the best work that he can possibly do. Uh, 2021, I ideally would like to see more of him, either as champion or in the picture in some way. If I was to make a... You know, I, I don't think it'll happen this year, but in the next year or so, I can maybe see him completing the Grand Slam. Because I think at the moment, it's just the US title he needs. Yeah. So just the US title you know if they take him out of the world title picture I would love to see him go and get the US title and complete the Grand Slam fair enough Scott what do you think I definitely agree that 2020 he's been one of the standout performers I think most, there are some wrestlers who if they had this push with, with the no fans they would kind of not try as hard but Drew has just shown his, his commitment to it and he's shown WWE that he's willing to give it he's all no matter what the situation which I think will help carry him and they'll keep him in that position for a long time to come because he's shown his uh, commitment to it. My bold prediction is that he will lose the title at WrestleMania, but he will have won the title back by the end of the year. And hopefully by the end of the year, they'll have not a full crowd, but some semblance of an actual audience, not just not the Thunder in the arena when he wins it. So mm. you can find out that long overdue moment of an actual crowd pop when he wins the title. Mm. Gary? Yeah, I, I think he's had an incredible year, probably without a doubt, I think would say probably he's the most successful year of his career, and rightly so. I think he's benefited probably from the enforced travel uh, change to the travel schedule, mm-hmm. because he can go out there Monday night or Sunday night, have a cracking match, and then he's got a full week to recover. He's not having to do three or four house shows or travel all about the place. So that must be that must be an, uh, an enormous benefit for him. I think in terms of predictions, he'll probably become the first person to headline two WrestleManias with no crowds at it, no fans at it. Uh, uh, his challenge for the year will be when he drops the belt to keep himself relevant because he had by the time he loses the belt, he will have been in the title picture for a year, if not longer. So he will have a period of time of coming away from the title so he doesn't get boring, but he needs to keep himself up there and keep himself relevant. Okay, uh, well on that note, uh, we'll end the show. This has been uh, our ESSR feature show where we discussed uh, Drew McIntyre in the last year. So I hope you enjoyed today's show. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, and all good Android podcasting sites. Be sure to give us a follow on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. We've got stuff uh, getting posted uh, near enough every day. You know, So be sure to engage with us, engage in the conversation, and uh, feel free to tweet us your thoughts on the show. What do you think is going to be 
a big prediction for Drew McIntyre in 2021 uh, at Suplex Retweet on social media. Uh, but all that remains to be said is uh, thank you to my panel. Uh, thank you, Scott. Thank you, Cool Cat Gins. <laughs> uh, thank you, Alan. Thanks. Thank you, Daniel. No problem, Bill. And of course, thank you, Gary Kernahan. Thank you, Dave. I can't wait to go and boogie. and I've been David Hockney this has been Eat Sleep Suplex Retweets feature show and we'll see you next time there now follows an enthusiastic advertisement for Quiz Showdown hello guys welcome to Quiz Showdown I'm Daniel Campbell and in this show you're going to see the members of the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet team go through a very strange quiz we don't know what the heck's going on with it but you're going to have to watch to find out go check out on the YouTube channel now that was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown. Sports Social Podcast Network.